screen also can be found on page 791 of the Pew Bibles. Hey, thank you for just your zeal for life. Thanks for the way that you love one another. Thanks for the just the overwhelming encouragement it is to be a part of this church. Um, it is a gift from God that we all um, can link arms with people uh, in many cases that are very different than us, but also point us and reflect Jesus. That is a gift that we will not take for granted. Uh, and to be able to gather and to be able to sing and to gather and be able to celebrate is a, a rich privilege. Uh, this morning we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Haggai. And to kick that off, I, I want to tell you a story. Uh, a couple weeks back, my family and I, uh, we were watching the movie Ready Player One. So anybody watched that one yet? All right, I will not spoil it for you. I always get uh, a lot of pushback because if you haven't seen the movie, I won't give away the plot. But I love this movie for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first is because it was directed by Steven Spielberg, who had his hand in every major shaping movie that I saw in the 80s and the 90s, from E.T. to Goonies to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and actually, I've convinced my kids at this point that the 80s and the 90s were the best time to be alive, so they're a little bit nostalgic. Um, so that was fun to be able, just because this movie is just filled with uh, references like that. Uh, but the other reason that I like this movie is because uh, I don't agree with every single trajectory that it portrays, but it also gives us a glimpse of the future. It's set in the year 2045. Uh, it looks like there's just been a global collapse of the economy. Uh, they ran out of fossil fuels. There was l large levels of pollution. Um, and what's interesting about the way that they dealt with it, instead of dealing with the problems that were right in front of them, they retreated into a virtual world called the Oasis, right? And so this was a group of people that instead of dealing with the brokenness that was in front of them and the problem that was in front of them, they began to just narrowly close their eyes and they could, this was a group of people that could choose what they see. Does that sound familiar at all, right? I mean, we all, if you are privileged at all, you have the opportunity to choose what you see, right? You can live um, in a neighborhood in often cases that, that you want to live in and you can isolate the, the news that you hear and the way that you interact with the world. As we look at the book of Haggai, we're going to see God moving in the hearts of his people to respond to the brokenness that exists all around them. This was a group of people that had isolated themselves from the brokenness that was right in front of them. And, and, and my prayer as we go through this is that um, this isn't a beat-yourself-up kind of book, but it is God in His strength and in His beauty and His majesty inviting us as a church and as individuals to consider the way that we live our lives, right? I mean, you're going to hear this phrase over and over again, consider your ways, right? Because Following Jesus and living as a part of his kingdom is not just something that we pay lip service to. It's something that's meant to define who we are and govern not just our thoughts and our feelings, but our actions. And the book of Haggai is a call to action for the people of God. And so we're going to look at this for the next four weeks. And this, this morning we're going to look at verses 
1 through 11. So if you have your Bible open, would you stand with me, if you're able, as we look at Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is this a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast, and on all their labors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. To pray with me. Father, we want so much right now to fix our eyes on you. You are amazing. You are inviting us into something that's beautiful and lasting. I pray that you help us not just pay lip service to the faith that we say we profess, but I pray that that the faith that we have in you would lead us to give our lives away for the things that you've called us to do Help us not be busy with our own lives, but help us to find the life that's hidden in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So the book of Haggai, and in particular the first 11 verses of chapter 1, are a contrast in perspectives. It's a contrast between the way that God sees the world and God sees his people and the way that they see the world. It is an invitation for the people of God to consider their ways, to take inventory of the way that they spend their time, to take inventory of the way that they give themselves to certain things. It's an invitation for us also as the people of God to consider the outcome of our way of life. Like if we continue down the path that we're going, what will be the result at the end of our lives. And this happens, uh, this entire book is a series of visions that happens in the year 520 B.C., some 500 years before Jesus is on the scene. And it takes place over five months, and it really is a call to action for the people of God. This is 18 years after 
this particular group of people experienced and witnessed the greatest miracle that they would ever see. So, some 88 years before the people of God were sent into exile, they were conquered by the nation of Babylon. And what was so particularly terrible about exile with the Babylonians is they tried to remove the culture from the people by sending them to another place. And so the people of God were always meant to be distinct and they were always meant to have their purpose found in God and their purpose found in the land that they lived in. And so they lost all of that. But how God delivered them was even more miraculous. So the nation of Babylon has all of these Israelites in captivity And then God raises up another leader named Cyrus the Persian who comes in and conquers Babylon. And then Cyrus, instead of wanting to take people's cultures away, he wants to rule over people that are diverse. And so he sends the people of Israel back to their land and he gives them even some money so that they can get started on rebuilding the temple and, and this would be, again, I mean, just think 9-11 was this week. This was an, the, the temple for the people of God was a national symbol of identity, and it had been laying in ruins for almost 90 years. And Cyrus the Persian gives his people um, an opportunity to go back and to rebuild it. And so they throw a party like you've never seen, right? This makes our tailgates uh, <laughs> look like a toddler's party. I mean, this was... Uh, Aaron read about this this morning in our prayer meeting. I mean, there was dancing, and there was feasting, and there was rejoicing. But they did what would be normal to us. So this group of people, they came back. The foundation of the temple was laid. And what did they do? Well, they went back to living their lives. These were people that didn't have jobs. They didn't have homes. And so... After a while, they got busy doing the things that came most naturally to them. They were building their own lives. And so, um, a couple of reasons that rebuilding the temple was vital. So you can imagine, if you are the people of God, you're coming back. This is this national symbol of identity. And it's kind of just this pile of rocks that are over here. It's a monument to their failure. It's a monument to their shame. It reminds them of all the ways that they've been disobedient. And we all have monuments of failure in our lives, right? It can be memories that you can't let go of. It could be relationships that have fallen apart. It could be like physical locations that when you drive by, it reminds you of a dark time in your history. What God is saying to the people of Israel is, I want to rebuild this temple, and in rebuilding this temple, guess what? I'm going to rebuild you, right? This is not just about um, building a monument and a temple. This is about God saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell with my people once again. I'm going to pour out my promises. I'm going to pour out my presence, and I'm going to take away every monument of your failure, and I'm going to build something beautiful in its place. But they were distracted. So God was saying in the midst of this, I want to give you something better than what you are living in and you are living for. But this is where, as Americans, this should immediately confront us. Because these folks, they weren't doing anything wrong, okay? They weren't overtly oppressing the poor. They weren't living just, you know, um, 
like stealing money or they weren't involved in sexual immorality. They weren't even like pushing God totally out of the picture. They just had placed him on the back burner. The busyness of their lives and the priority of the kingdom was being choked out by the way that they lived their lives. And God was saying through the prophet Haggai, listen, I have something so much better for you than living for the small things that you're living for. So I'm inviting you into a new way of life. And as you rebuild the temple, I'm going to rebuild you and I'm going to give you new vision and new priorities. Listen, listen. if you've ever been involved in, in just sharing the gospel or caring for people, what happens when you begin to tell them about Jesus? Right? When you share your faith or you share the way that God is meeting you, it builds you up in your faith. And that's exactly what God has for his people in the book of Haggai, and it's exactly what he has for us as well. Not only that, but the, the people of God were meant to be a light to the world, right? So the temple was the place where everybody in the world was supposed to come to see what it was like to live in right relationship with Yahweh. And he said, so I want you to get busy, right? I don't want you to talk about it. I don't want you to plan. I don't want you to strategize. I want you to pull out the hammer and I want you to pull out the nails because this is important. The whole world is to be filled with my glory. So I want you to, as a group of people, to not talk about your own needs and your own limitations. I want you to press in and allow me to shape how you live your lives so that more and more people could come to know Him. Now, there's this phrase that appears a couple times in the first 11 verses. It says, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. This is the only place in the Old Testament that this phrase is found. And, and I believe that the reason that he says it like this, a lot of times it says prophets, it, just the word of the Lord came to someone. This came by the hand of Haggai. And I think it's because as the people of God, we've always had this real proclivity to where we want to just talk about things. Right? This is a call to action. So that brings me to my first point. God stirs up his people continually towards action. God wants to move his people from talking about what does it look like to build the kingdom or even praying for what does it look like to build the kingdom to actually stepping out, changing the way that they live their lives and stepping into his promises and his priorities. Listen, so as we, we're going to talk a lot about what does it mean for us as the people of God to pursue renewal and justice and address the brokenness of the world. There's a couple of things like it's not that hard to see the brokenness of the world, right? I mean, that's pretty simple. As, as long as God opens our eyes, we can see the brokenness. And if you infuse faith in the process over here, you can see what restoration looks like. But there's this huge gap in the middle. And that gap in the middle is supposed to be filled with spirit-empowered labor by the people of God, right? So we can talk about brokenness and we can talk about renewal, but what this book is about is spirit-empowered labor that looks to Jesus and looks to fulfill God's promises for the world. And honestly, I believe that's where we are as a church. Right? God is inviting us to step out, to not just talk about things, but to actually do them. One of the one of the reasons I love this book is because I'm simple, honestly. Um, this is it's two chapters, 
right? It's, it's not long. It's something that we can get our minds around. But it also, it gets straight to the point. This is five months in the life of the people of God. And if you look at what God did in them in the next five months, it's simply overwhelming, right? Although we think renewal for our city is this long-term project, God is pleased at certain points in time to pour out his spirit on his people so that the mission is propelled quickly. And that is our prayer, just like he did for Michael and for Campus Outreach, right? We pray for this, but God does this. Let's take him up on his offer to be generous. We say often in our benediction every week that we want to live as a part of God's story as his gospel is making all things new. See, we believe that the gospel not only brings forgiveness, but it brings wholeness and healing. We're not naive about what that's going to look like or what it's even going to take to address the needs of our city, but we believe that God's already doing this in pockets all around our city, and God's invitation to us as a local church is to step out and to follow him and already see where he's at work. Um, Gabe Lyons, in his book, The Next Christians, he helps us get our minds around this. He says, and I think, I think this describes us, so I'm excited. I have observed a new generation of Christians that feel empowered, restores, and that's what he's talking about, people that want to participate in renewal efforts. Restores exhibit the mindset of humility and commitment that seem destined to rejuvenate the momentum of their faith. Telling others about Jesus is important, but conversion isn't their only motive. Their mission is to infuse the world with beauty, grace, justice, and love. I call them restorers because they envision the world as it was meant to be, and they work towards that vision. So God, let us be workers. Restorers seek to mend the world's brokenness. They recognize that the world will not be completely healed until Christ's return, but they believe that that process begins now as we partner with God through sowing seeds of restoration. They believe others will see Christ through us and the Christian faith will reap much more large, a much more larger harvest. So for the rest of our time, our story and this call for them to rebuild the temple parallels our vision to see God renew and to restore and to rebuild broken lives in our city and even inside of our church. And so I want to spend the rest of the time talking about the ways these things overlap. The first is the call to renewal is always greater than our resources, right? Like, part of the reason that restoration and addressing real brokenness is difficult is because it is beyond us, right? So often, as Christians, we only are interested in the things that we have margin for or the things that we think that we can afford to do. But the life of faith always calls us beyond what we can do into what God can do. And so we, it's not a bad thing to bump up into your own limitation. The only, the only problem is what are we going to do when we bump into our limitation? Is that something that we're, is going to press us further into God and his resources? Or is it something that we're just going to retreat from? In the book of Haggai, right, this caused them to retreat into their own purposes and their own lives. But I believe that God has for us is to begin to step out. Now, you've got to imagine for these, this group of people, this was disorienting to them, 
they step back into a land that most of them were never born in, right? And so I, I, I've had this conversation with several of you inside this room. Probably 60 to 80% of the people in this room weren't born here, right? God sovereignly and his plan and his purposes, just like in the book of Haggai, brought a group of people to a city, right, to bring restoration and to help to rebuild, right? And so I think that, that we can marvel at the fact that God would bring a collection of people like us together. But it's not just so that we could pursue a job, and it's not just so that we could pursue a career or have an education. Those things are the means that God got you here, but while you're here, whether that's the next two years or the next 20 years, God wants you to be a part of the story of this city and work to see it to be uh, just a more beautiful and accurate reflection of who he is. So these people had no homes, no jobs, yet at the same time God was calling them they weren't rooted in this place, but to help to build this place. And that's what God is inviting you into this morning. Now, this week, I had just the wonderful privilege of sitting with a group of individuals at the Night to Shine planning meeting. We highlighted it uh, last week, and this is where we partner with the Tim Tebow Foundation to serve special needs adults. And we do this once a year, but there's a lot of labor that goes into this. And we were just talking about what God did last year and what we would want to see God do this year. And Susan Smith, who helps to lead up that team, she said something that just absolutely thrilled me. She said, one of the reasons that I love that we do this is because it's beyond what we can do, right? That it's bigger than us, right? We're hosting this huge event for the whole city where tons of people are coming. And for us as the people of God, like, those are the things that keep life and ministry and mission fresh is when we step out beyond what we can actually do. The book of Haggai is saying when you only focus on your own resources and building your own lives, you will quickly come to an end of yourself. There's this theme, right? They had plenty of food, but it never satisfied them, right? They had all the clothes that they could want, but it couldn't keep them warm. There's an emptiness that comes as we live in the strength of our own resources. And as the people of God in America, I mean, this is a sober warning for us. I'm sure on some level, when they're looking at their own limitations, they're saying, how can we afford to act? How can we afford to rebuild this temple when we're trying to build our own lives? And God's saying in the midst of this, how can you afford not to act? Right? Because I have something better for you than just building your own lives. The next parallel between their story and our story is because renewal is a long-term proposition, it leaves us vulnerable to discouragement. Because renewal is a long-term proposition, it leaves us vulnerable to discouragement. They'd already been at this for 18 years, right? So I, I think almost everyone in here is at least 18 years old, close. Some of you guys wouldn't even be on the planet on this side of the room, right? But think about the last 18 years of your life. What, what have you given your life to for that amount of time? That's how long they've already been at work rebuilding the city that they're a part of. And they had grown tired. They had grown weary. They had grown discouraged. The devastation that was all around them was overwhelming. Listen, and Aaron and I, we, we went downtown and we met some other leaders from the city. And we, 
We just walked a couple of blocks of our city. And it's easy in those moments to become overwhelmed at the amount of needs, right? It's easy to grow discouraged. But do you know how this temple was rebuilt? Brick by brick, stone by stone, nail by nail, and that building was restored. Now, um, I'm going to show you a couple pictures. These are from our gym, all right? (laughs) All right, so if you've never been in our gym, this is what it looked like. This is what it looked like uh, just prior to the summer. This is not about us building, doing a building campaign, by the way. I just want you to know that. But listen, so I had this great idea. I returned from a pastor's conference that we were going to use all the gifts and skills that God's given us to renew this building. And uh, that's what it looked like. And so then we began this process of Aaron and I, very long, sanding this paint that you thought would just fly up off of the floor. And we got on our hands and knees with a grinder and we had these tools and it took weeks upon weeks. And we would just look at each other and honestly, I I know he was like, bro, what in the world were you thinking? Right? But I mean, but this kept going through my mind. Every square inch matters. God owns all of this, right? So we're just, that we're actually functionally living out what does it mean to, to be a restorer. And then, I don't know if you got some pictures. All right, so uh, we're not completely done back there, but yeah, we were able to, you know, to stain it and put down some, some great uh, a finish, and we're, gonna, we're still looking for some other things. But the ceiling was caved in. It looked like a crack house inside of our gym. It did, right? Listen, listen. This is probably why I was in the book of Haggai, if I want to be honest with you. Like, like I was just like, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into, right? The, but listen, the building is more important than the building, but it is an indication, right, of the spiritual condition and the priority that we place on things, right? So what did we do? We try to roll up our sleeves and so that we do that. And listen, we're going to be doing more of that around here, not less, Okay, because we have a vision to be here for the long-term renewal of the city. And so we want to be a good steward. And so we're going to be inviting you into some projects. But I promise you that's not why we're doing this series. But we want this place, and I love that oftentimes this is filled with people that I don't even know. We want to be a good steward of the things that God's given us so that we can love our city well. So... Yes, renewal is a long-term project. It takes inch by inch, life by life. But listen, God loves to use small, insignificant things, a small group of people. That's what a remnant is, and we'll talk more about that next week. Small groups of people to change the world, life by life. And you know who that matters to? The people that we're reaching, right? So yes, we... the. The growth and renewal may seem imperceptible to us at times, but God is always working. God is the one that makes things grow. Finally, I want to talk to you about the high cost of apathy. Right? The book of Haggai is God declaring war on indifference and apathy for his people. Right? There's one thing that we cannot be as the people of God. And that is unfeeling or uncaring towards 
the needs of the world. God is inviting us to consider our ways and look at the priorities of our life. What gets our time? What gets our attention? What sets the agenda of our schedule? Is it the kingdom of God or is it something else? Finally, renewal continually confronts our priorities. The truth is that the priority of the kingdom of God is a challenge for every generation that's ever been alive on planet earth. There are just more ways to distract yourself from it in this generation, right? So the, the book of Haggai, like it's, like I read it and I'm like, they're rebuilding their houses. Like that makes sense to me. But God is saying, hey, I want to lift your eyes off of something bigger. Like when you, Jesus says it's like this on the Sermon of the Mount, that like if we seek first his kingdom and his glory, everything else that you're wanting will be added unto you. So there's this, but for this group of people, they had grown indifferent and apathetic to the purposes and the plans of God. And so what happened, the consequence of that is emptiness right? They never had enough. Judd Wilhite in his book Pursued helps us understand this. Emptiness, so if you're bored in your faith, this is probably why. Emptiness is a consequence of idolatry. When empty idols are worshipped, the worshiper becomes just as vacant. Enough of something that is not there is never enough. Only when we make God the object of our worship we find all the things that we were searching for in our pursuit of money, love, sex, family, career, and status. God is saying, listen, this is not to beat yourself up, but if you're bored in your faith, this is an invitation for you to join God in what he's already doing because he wants to be glorified and in the same sense, he wants to satisfy you with good things. He wants to satisfy you with himself. And so we want to listen and we want to respond. God's saying, I want, to res- I want you to receive something better. The book of Haggai teaches us, and you're going to see this unfold. You're going to see this massive shift in the people of God. They hear God. They respond to Him. But you can not do, nothing, you can not do anything wrong and still not do anything right. Right? Over the last century, there's been a massive shift in the Christian faith from a devotion to Jesus and a public faith that's lived where we take the gospel to the nations and to the world to where people were having doctrinal battles and they were fighting with one another because they had fat heads and small hearts, just like the Grinch. Um, Yeah, that's on the fly. Um, (laughs) the The book of Haggai shows us you can still do nothing wrong and not do anything right. And this is a call for us not to avoid the bad things, not for Christians to be known for what they are against, but to be known for what they're for and their love. Ken Wistema, in his book, Pursuing Justice, he nails this. I pray that God writes this on our hearts. He says, in Leviticus 19, 18, we read God's command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus repeated this command in Matthew 22, verse 39, this principle exists in many cultures, and it's sometimes known, sometimes is known as the ethic of reciprocity. We know it as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. American culture, however, has twisted the golden rule into the silver rule. Do not 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that extra word, not, makes all the difference. The golden rule requires action to do unto others, while the silver rule allows for passivity and neutrality. Apathy only requires us not to intentionally harm others. Anyone who isn't actively evil can be exonerated by following silver rules. At the end of the day, apathy tells us that it's perfectly acceptable to live with the illusions of our own justice. So we sang about this morning, God opening our eyes. He wants us to be able to see things the way that he sees. He wants to call us from just merely thinking about things to begin to live them out and to live in the good of his story. And this is where the good news of the gospel, because honestly, the gospel has to confront us before it can comfort us. It confronts us because we naturally want to live for ourselves. But the good news of the gospel is we have a God that's entered into our own story, and instead of pursuing life on his own, he laid down his life so that the promise of all of the people that follow Jesus is an abundance and a fullness of life, right? Instead of emptiness that comes from running after the wrong things, he says, I want to satisfy you forever with the thing that you were made for, relationship with me and loving other people. Jesus laid down his life for all of our failures to live this out, and he was raised up to give us power to walk this out. That's the good news of the gospel for the people of God. So we don't have to wallow in self-pity. We don't have to walk in shame. But we do have to consider our ways, and we have to listen, and we have to respond to God. That's the call, and that's the invitation of the first 11 verses of the book of Haggai. So I just want to pray, and then we're going to sing together. Father, I thank you that you invite us into a life that seems counterintuitive, that when we lay down our lives, um, you actually help us to find life. I pray that today would be an exercise in helping us to find and experience life. I pray that you would pour out your spirit on us. Do not allow shame or condemnation to win the day, but I pray that you would allow the victory of Jesus on behalf of us and behalf of our city to begin to define us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue to celebrate